0: Welcome, everyone. Dr. Mercola, helping you take control of your health with interviewing another expert in the challenge of uh, what has happened in the last in the recent history with the the uh, introduction of the COVID nineteen SARS CoV two virus and the SARS CoV two jab. So we have with us today to dialogue on this and give us an update is Ivor Cummings, who doesn't have any formal health training, but he's He's certainly been well-trained in engineering and the scientific method and, and a mind that can analyze very deeply and rationally and logically. It can come to some common sense conclusions, which unfortunately are not so common nowadays. So we need people like Ivor to help remind us of what the obvious is and we see the data and how to interpret it. So welcome and thank you for joining
1: us today, Ivor. Thanks very much, Dr. McCullough. It's great to be here and It's great to just keep getting the message out on the facts and the logic and the science and just help people be informed.
0: Yes, absolutely. So what's your take on the roller coaster ride we're riding?
1: Oh, how do you summarize? Well, briefly, (laughs) um, I've been eight or nine years in metabolic health research, et cetera. And I have a biochemical engineering degree, and I've spent 30 years almost in leading problem solving teams in corporate. So I had a lot of experience to do the analysis, but in March, my wife got worried about this SARS-CoV-2 thing. And I did a quick check and I found the Diamond Princess data. So I put a ceiling on the infection fatality rate, maybe around 0.2%, massively stacked towards people who are elderly and infirm, sadly. And I told her, no, that this is nothing to do with us effectively. It's going to be the equivalent of a bad flu or severe flu season. And uh, then I watched the lockdowns come in, which came straight from China. I watched as the seasonal problem in Europe collapsed as expected in April, and they didn't want to take the lockdowns out. And then they wanted more restrictions. And then they started whooping about a vaccine. And I thought, hold on, this is a bad flu equivalent, essentially.
0: Well, they've got a vaccine for that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and I kind of knew as well from the time from previous research, I don't really go into vaccines much, but I had a couple of papers from JAMA in early 2000s, and it's quite clear the flu vaccine is very ineffective, and that's had 30 years or so of development. So I thought, what are they thinking that in a year maybe they can have a highly effective one for this? And, uh, you know, I just found it astonishing. And they then brought in masks in Northern Europe in the summer. And then I knew we were in serious trouble because in Northern Europe, there was nothing going on. The hospitals were empty. The ICUs were empty. We were in the seasonal kind of trough and they brought in mandatory masks and everyone started wearing them. And then I said, oh, there's something huge going on here. <laughs> it's very, very nasty and people are falling for it. And then I, I stayed on it after that.
0: Yeah, that's crazy so uh what's your take on on the newest things like the uh well what's your take on the vaccines? why don't we go there and start start with it because it seems to me that many people believe uh that the sole purpose for introducing or releasing this virus, whether it's accidentally or intentional into the into the environment and it's clear from this point unless you're uh irrational and psychotic, that this was a genetically or er, er, gain-of-function engineered virus, it's a man-made virus that's no way ever originated in, in an animal population, which interestingly had a good supposition initially because the virus, the SARS-CoV-1 and the MERS virus, two previous coronavirus infections that that were challenging in the human population, did come from animals. So it wasn't unusual to, think, to speculate that it came from animals, but this one didn't. So, the, But anyway, the, going on, the, the, many people believe that this was introduced into the population solely as the pretext for introducing this vaccine to as many people as they can. <laughs> so uh, this, it, it seems to me, is the crux of the whole issue, the whole dilemma and challenge that we face is how do we deal with this and what is the consequences and, and uh, you know how do we go about understanding it?
1: Yeah, it's a really tricky situation now because I spent so long fighting lockdowns. We clearly know they're highly ineffective. They cause vastly more damage than they could ever save. We know that. And the mask, of course, was very sinister. Uh, the vaccine more recently I've looked into, and my problem with the vaccine is the kind of risk-reward. So you might argue a risk-reward for an elderly or susceptible population, perhaps, But for people below 60 who are healthy, the risk of COVID is so low and below 40 years old, it's just tiny for healthy people. Um, And we know now from the emerging Israel data where we see the same infection rates in the vaccinated and unvaccinated uh, for all age groups and many other countries uh, of empirical data, we know it's not affecting transmission. The original pharma companies did acknowledge it may not affect transmission. Mechanistically, it shouldn't really affect transmission. And the real world data said it doesn't. So the push to vaccinate, you know, mass medication is not based on any science, really at all. I mean, it's just based on a desire. And you've got to question that desire. What is the obsession with trying to get everyone vaccinated? And I feel that Part of it is to do with profiteering and pharma influence, obviously. Part of it is to do with justifying a vaccine passport or permits. Mm -hmm. They're coming in for restaurants in Europe, Mm -hmm. insanely. And part of it as well, I think, is there's a fear that a control group existing, substantial, say 20, 30% of people who are not vaccinated, the data will clearly show right, that Mm -hmm. the unvaccinated, unless they've got particular medical conditions really are no worse off by not being vaccinated and they are not causing transmission. So I think there is a desire now to eliminate the control group, just like we saw with Sweden. Sweden did no lockdown and it turned out to perform in the lowest extra mortality of Europe and uh, the lowest third. So they were abused and attacked through all the media for months because a controlled group is dangerous A control group shows that your medication or your lockdown ain't so hot. So I think that's another driver. A bit of desperation is coming in to get rid of the control group and just get everyone vaccinated. And then you can't see any signal anymore.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I want to take off on that because that's precisely, precisely what was done in the uh, vaccine trials with Moderna and Pfizer. That's what they did. They, I'm sure you're aware of this. They eliminated, after a few months, they eliminated the control group under the justification that they couldn't afford not to give them this incredible piece of save, saving grace you know, to, to protect them. But th- that is just reprehensible science. They eliminated it. But even so, even when they have a control group in many of these trials, it is a, it is a fake control group. It is not real. So the control group typically is they give them another dangerous vaccine. And they, that's the control group. They don't give them saline injected with water, which is a really easy to, to validate because you know the normal saline injecting arm is gonna cause absolutely zero symptoms. Another vaccine, not so much so. So that's another strategy they that uh, in their effort to eliminate the control group.
1: Yeah, there's lots of tricks in the book, and we've seen this. We saw it with chemotherapy. Uh, The reality was their first chemotherapy drugs, they did extend or slow tumor growth. But when you actually looked at the outcomes, they were kind of a damp squib, but they still looked at the slowing of the tumor, which later grew really fast. So you didn't get much change in the end. And they said, oh, this is a miracle. So it's unethical in the future to ever test a chemotherapy drug against a Test against this one. So that was done in the 90s, I think. So I was astounded when I saw that. But like you say, yeah, another vaccine is used as the control, which is simply not science. It's the control group is the center. The central pillar of science is a control mm-hmm. group. And even if there is risk to a control group, you ethically have to accept that risk mm-hmm. because it's so fundamentally crucial to have the group. You have to accept some risk there. Uh, in this case, with a flu, a bad flu equivalent, endemic virus, the risk being accepted by the control group is, is almost nothing anyway. And they used young people. They didn't mm-hmm. even test it on the people who needed it. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is kind of a sham. And you don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to say it's a sham. Basic elementary science has been inverted, turned upside down, macerated, flushed down the, the urinal. Um, and that's without even getting into you know, complicated stuff. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's the
0: classic implementation of George Orwell, 1984, really in doublespeak, where at least a derivative of that, where they're, everything they say is the opposite of what it is, the truth is. So, and we've gotten, sadly and unfortunately, that's the point we're at. So, um you know, it, it is beyond said. So this, it's interesting. Another point on the control group is, is that they are going, the, I believe it's upwards of 40%, maybe even close to 50% in some populations that have chosen to resist accepting the, the, the COVID jab. So uh, that is the authentic and true control group. And my speculation is, is this control group will have wind up having a far lower mortality in the long run because there are going to be consequences, side effects that have yet to be uh, observed as a result of this participation in this what appears to be one of the largest experiments in human history, injection of hundreds of millions of people with this untested, unlicensed injection therapy.
1: Yeah, I mean, people. Most people don't realize it's under emergency use authorization (EUA). Uh, We had a guy in Ireland who went to seven pharmacies, and he asked them the question: "What's the risk to my twenty-year-old daughter from COVID, and what's the risk of side effects from the medication supposedly to help with COVID?" And they couldn't really answer. They they actually are administering, (laughs) and they didn't really know either. And they pretty much all of them said emphatically, uh, oh, no, this was fully tested. Yeah. Phase three and, and phase four. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he told them each of them and showed them the documentation. It's emergency use only. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not fully authorized. And uh, they were kind of surprised. So even all the people administering that they're just not aware of any of the facts, it appears.
0: Yeah, and if you ask to look at the package insert, you unfold it and you have this really large sheet of paper that just happens to be blank. <laughs> there's nothing on it, <laughs> there's no list of the side effects. And I think you have, at least they ostensibly try to warn people before they take this and have them consent, which literally is physically impossible to give an informed consent when you are censoring anything every bit and piece of information that would give people a broader understanding of the true what's happening what is the the uh the consequences of consenting to this experiment
1: yeah it's it's bizarre to be quite honest and uh the reality is that the pharmacists in question they had some idea of side effects they thought it was one in hundreds of thousands But the Johnson & Johnson leaflet that this guy brought in showed up to 1 in 10,000 chance of a serious clot in brain, lymph, or, you know, spleen, et cetera. So they they weren't even really aware of the contents of the leaflet. Uh, The pharmaceutical companies, in fairness, have kind of covered themselves with capturing some of that data, but no one's reading the leaflet. And the people administering are just saying, oh, here, sign here. So there's no informed consent because the person administering doesn't understand the scenarios, and certainly the person getting it doesn't.
0: Well, I would disagree with the the statement that the the pharmaceutical companies have captured the data. They've done precisely the opposite. Uh, Almost in every single case where a new drug is implemented, there needs to be a, a mechanism in place to capture the data to understand what's going on, especially when this is unlicensed, it's, a, as a, it's emergency use authorization only under, under these emergency orders or authorization powers that they have, executive order powers. So they, the, typically there's in place these mechanisms and the only place that we have is this self-reported database of theirs. There is no mechanism, they, they, they intentionally excluded that. So, because they they knew what the consequences, these people aren't stupid, they're sophisticated. They understood that there's gonna be plenty of of side effects from it. And in some ways it doesn't really matter other than from a a, a propaganda perspective because there is no danger to them from the legal system. They were really careful to have implemented not only the protection of the 1986 uh, vaccine act, uh, uh, injury act that uh, insulates them from any all liability from these vaccines, but they had additional acts passed. (laughs) There's no way they can be sued or held liable for any damages that occur from these vaccines.
1: Yeah, so they are completely exempt. And like you say, that goes way back. I mean, The Vers database that you mentioned, it captures some, but it depends on the country. So a paper came out a week or two ago, and I think the uh, journal then retracted it, not because of the content or because the authors decided they made a mistake, just politically. And the paper from these authors showed that in Europe, some databases are showing up to three to four per 100,000 fatalities linked to the vaccine. And then some other countries are showing almost none. So it's clear that the the country that records the most is doing the best recording. And they compared that four per 100,000, which matches, I think, one of the American databases to the six per 100,000 probable risk from COVID. And they made the point that like the cost benefit here is kind of in the same order. Uh, but absolutely, in Ireland, I have people on the inside of the medical system and overwhelmingly nothing's getting recorded. When people have a reaction, they come in, they have a problem, they send them to the emergency room. The emergency room just deals with it. No no one picks up a pencil or a pen. I mean, that's just across the board. So, you know, I've heard the estimate that on average, the recorded issues you might be able to multiply by five to ten mm-hmm. to get the actual, right. and that was from some professors I think linked to BMJ. That was not kind of kind of way out there, fringe. That was just acknowledging what you said that the databases never capture uh, most of the issues.
0: Yeah, there was a whistleblower with the Medicare Medicaid uh, system who was had was an insider with respect to analyzing these. The statistics, and that's the conclusion she reached. In fact, from the, her, her testimony, a uh, lawsuit was filed, I believe, in Alabama that, uh, in fact, the percentage increase was 500% or five times what the reporting cases were. So I think at this point, we're about 10,000 deaths in the United States, so that would be 50,000 deaths. And uh, I, don't, I don't know what the percentage that would come out to at a... I think it's probably yeah, well, close to 200 million injections now in the u.s
1: yeah and you know there's the deaths that are associated and a lot of people on the narrative side are trying to say oh well they're just associated with the vaccine not (laughs) causal but why why
0: didn't they say say that when when they were dying from (laughs) covid19 that was just associated yeah
1: well, COVID-19 was within 28 days of a positive test. So yeah, yeah. if you had within 28 days of a flu test, you get huge numbers in, in winter, especially, or, or of a rhinovirus test in season. So it was a meaningless measure. But now they say that about the vaccines. And the reality is that what goes completely against that is Uh, There was a lady and might even be the same whistleblower you mentioned, but she did a short report showing that the reactions are in the following week after the vaccine. There's a huge spike in reactions and then they fade right down in the following few weeks. So it clearly shows they are associated. Otherwise, you just see a flat curve of reactions Mm -hmm. over four or six weeks. But you can see from the curb, they all happen within a week or two. And I mean, I have my daughters in college in the medical sphere and a friend of hers, 22 years old, healthy, in February got a double shot uh, off the Pfizer and she had to go to hospital for five days. And the doctors dealing with her acknowledged, yes, this is a rare case of a reaction. But guess what? A week or two ago, she came down with a flu-like symptom. She rang the uh, system and they said, oh, there's no need to test because you've been double vaccinated, right? But she got a PCR test and she was positive. So she's positive with symptomatic COVID for the first time over the whole epidemic after following two shots like a few months ago, all administered properly. I mean, these stories are popping up all over the place. Yeah.
0: The break, the breakthrough infections. Uh,
1: yeah. And the...
0: That, that I mean, I my guess is that they're just delighted that these are happening because they're using it as justification for more additional booster shots. Because if obviously it did didn't work, we need three, four, five, six to give you to make sure it works.
1: <laughs> yeah, every bit of data that emerges, you know, is always going to be used uh, to the benefit of the narrative side, and that's just the way it is because they hold control of media, control of politicians. So the twisting and turning and kind of fraud. It'll always be any data can be used to support the narrative it's It's pretty sad actually, and I'm not sure to be honest I have a couple of immunology people super hot, one in Hungary, one in west coast u s and I defer to them on these things about mass you know vaccine enhancement reactions and all, and they largely think that. The vaccine, if anything, will probably cause more problems of that nature, as well as the side effects of autoimmune, et cetera, et cetera. It'll probably generate, generate more trouble in the next season, but they don't feel it will generate a mega problem or like some people have feared this enormous uh, wave of sickness. They think it'll be a lower level, but they acknowledge that anything that does happen will always be twisted to justify more shots more boosters or what's happening now blame the unvaccinated we're going to see a lot of that and biden i think a few days ago i was quite shocked and i'm not easily shocked anymore after the last year Mm -hmm. biden came out and basically kind of incited hatred against unvaccinated quite directly that's scary
0: (laughs) yeah it's not surprising I uh, was reading an editorial in USA Today this morning, and uh, they said, Well, we've had enough carrots being offered. We're, you know, we're there. The, the now is going to likely be a federal policy that if you get the COVID jab, they're going to give you $100, pay you $100 to get the jab. That is in addition to the other incentives that were offered, like millions, some, some states, multi million dollar lotteries were being used as a bribe to get this thing. And literally $10 billion, $10 billion was spent by the government to advertise these vaccines. $10 billion. It's insane. Yeah. They're, 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 but anyway, you get back to the editorial, they're saying, hey, listen, we've had enough care. It's, a, it's about time to get the stick out. So why don't we go down that route and these COVID or vaccine passports, which is the obvious sticks and the restrictions, the eliminations, perhaps the inability to go to the grocery store and buy food unless you've been vaccinated.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's getting super sinister, but we kind of knew last year with the mandatory masks and a lot of other crazy stuff that happened that we were heading towards a China, more China like system. And there's a massive desire for, for the ID cards. And around ten years in the UK, a, a, a war criminal prime minister Tony Blair, who who drove the whole Iraq war thing, uh, he's back out in the last year. But ten years ago, he tried to bring in biometric ID cards in Britain, and of course, everyone said no way. But it just shows it's been a long time coming, and the the virus is the excuse to get what they want. And I'd say it's it's a control system for governments to have tracking, tracing, and more control over citizens. And, you know, I'm sure over time they'll want to put on economic status and credit history. Um, They'll have private medical records and an ID card. I mean, that's, that's abhorrent to me. That is just beyond shocking. The really shocking thing is that people are falling for it. Like our whole freedoms and inalienable rights are being taken away on the back of what? And the reality is, and the data is clear as day, it's a kind of a bad flu equivalent, maybe like 57 or 68, not even as bad as 1957 because that one hit the middle-aged and younger also. So the life years lost were vastly higher, You know, even if the number of deaths was not much higher. But look what we're doing based on a, a severe flu. And I mentioned it earlier, but it's shocking. The Diamond Princess showed us With the people dying on a 3,700-person ship, the people dying were in their late 70s and into the late 80s. And the numbers clearly showed it was a severe flu equivalent. And nothing ever changed since then. And yet, here we are. We're going to give up fundamentals of freedom. I mean, genuine fundamentals. Uh, And everyone's lost sight of the fact of, of the true impact of the disease you know but that's a year of non-stop propaganda in ireland it's 24/7 for the last 16 months literally yeah. every 15 minutes all the evening tv shows on the main channels they're all funded by government money for covid awareness and they're all hammering out the narrative that sars-cov-2 is like bubonic plague essentially and that the lockdown is saving us even though the data shows it has almost no effect um, it's, it's crazy stuff you know I'm still Joe trying to push the key points that lockdown is ineffective like masks and the severity of the disease is nothing like they're saying and I'm almost hoping that if people can only grasp that they'll realise everything else built on the back of it is built on sand it's a house of cards it's all insane kind of sinister totalitarian nonsense um, but it's hard to convince people who are propagandized. They're, they're practically psychotic now, the majority of the population.
0: I would disagree with the psychotic, but I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly with your previous comments, which I believe highlights the as- absolute essence of what's going on. You hit it right on the head, in my, my belief. And that is this propaganda campaign has literally been probably the most effective propaganda campaign in the history of the world. There's mankind, there's nothing that that beats it, because they've developed technologies and, and systems and social media platforms and control that they can hit you from every which way. and And that literally is the most effective way to manipulate the population. is You can't get better. it's It's painless and it's and it's very cost effective. So that's what they've done. And once you're brainwashed, literally brainwashed, you are immune to rational, logical thinking and, and providing basics that you just highlighted, that the lockdowns don't work, that the masks don't work, that the vaccine, that this is not a dangerous virus. They, they because everything they've been told by their trusted sources says the exact opposite.
1: Yeah, it's a killer. And I'm sure you remember, and this is way back when it, the people were sharing the studies where demonstrated that if you for a couple of months only, or maybe it was only around four or six weeks, if you propagandize a people, um, you've kind of ruined their their reasoning. Mm-hmm. They just become like, they can't see reason after that because their their brain has been formed. And these were studies done years ago, but we've had 16 months. And I compare to 1930s Germany, and I'm very specific. Some people get very angry about referring back to that period, but I'm not referring to the Holocaust. I'm not referring to the 40s. I refer back to 1930s Germany, and Goebbels and the rest of them, they put a radio in every house, free of charge, I believe. Mm -hmm. And they knew once we've got a conduit or a channel into every house, and we feed them what we want to feed them we've got them i think there was a quote from one of the nazi party that give me control of the media and i will turn any nation into a nation of pigs so these people were contemptive or they had contempt for the people mm-hmm. but they were very smart and they pulled off obviously an absolute horror but now is is a great analogy and people get really angry if you compare to that period but it's a perfect analogy you mm-hmm. know take over the media mass propaganda for sustained periods, and then you can almost do what you want. I mean, the nonsense that they've come out with so many times in the last year, its people should just laugh at it. It should be a a farce, a comedy. But people are not laughing. They've just gotten used to being fed umbilically from the media and the professors and experts. And no matter what nonsense they say, they just kind of take it on board.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and the 1930s Germany uh, that you referred to was 80 years ago, 80 years ago. We've had exponential increases in technology, which, ex- which correspondingly exponentially increases its ability and effectiveness of propagandizing, brainwashing people in, in more effectively. So um, that's why I say this, is the, this has been the most effective propaganda campaign in the history of the world and they've won, they've succeeded. Uh, Pretty much, uh, at this point in time, it seems that it's almost hopeless to convince anyone otherwise, no matter what data you show them, no matter if virtually everyone in their family gets the vaccine and dies from it, like immediately. Obviously that's not happening, worst case scenario is likely it never would, but if it did, they still would believe that the vaccine was safe and it was just a coincidence that they all died. That's how, Severe this brainwashing is, and I've seen it in lesser, lesser uh, scenarios, where someone close to them, their family or good friend, dies, obviously related to the vaccine. They say no, it's not. It's just vaccine is safe. It was some other thing that caused some other aspect that caused it, and they went and got their vaccine jab or their COVID jab.
1: For sure, and we've seen many examples here. We have an expert group in Ireland, genuine expert group with industry leaders you know, surgeons, doctors, uh, legal people. And we've been working since last September. We've put out several papers. We've lobbied. Uh, in fact, we just did a panel interview a couple of weeks ago. It's released a few days ago. It's an hour long, but again, it has key people, six of us. And we go through the whole thing of what we're discussing and it's very popular. There's an Irish slant to it, but most of it applies to the whole mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. And, um, You know, it's just, we just go through what we're talking about and it's astonishing. You can see the six people who are top level positions in multiple disciplines being kind of astonished as we talk. Uh, But we talk about the brainwashing as well. And there's no doubt people, I think of the vaccine argument, which I never got into much over the years, you know, yes, there's anti-vax, very anti-vax people who are, you could call them extremely anti-vax. But the problem is there's also vaccine zealots, right, on the other end. And there are a much bigger number of people who are unquestioning. Like any medication, you can't say that all hypertensives are safe and effective. You can say that certain ones are that have have all the data in. But no one would expect to say a whole class of drug types are all automatically good. But the vaccine is the exception. There's a, a vaccine zealotry this obsession that once it's that class of drug, it suddenly cannot be discussed. It can, and that, this has been brewing for 20 years. I've, I've watched it, but I've never taken too much notice because it didn't really affect me and I was in different areas of health. But now it's come crashing down that 20 years of vaccine zealotry and not allowed to question. That's been groomed. So now they bring out one that's under emergency use authorization. It's absolutely appropriate to discuss that, to discuss the risks and the benefits. Of course it is, but no, you're not allowed to because it's a vaccine. So you you just shut up and go home. It's shocking, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it is. So Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for indulging me in the the dialoguing about the vaccines and the implications of them. And I want to have another Question down the road, but before we go there about that, I wanted to step back and really uh, shift the conversation to things that you can do to improve your immune system because you're that really is. I mean, we any, anyone in natural health, and you know, we have both been fa- fascinated and passionate about natural health prior to this pandemic, uh, and we had to shift because <laughs> that if you did, you know, because that was the only thing that became relevant. But yeah. so why, why don't we go back to the health perspective, which you have really are grounded in really well and give us your take on metabolic flexibility. And I'm interested too, I mean, you mentioned earlier when we first were discussing your wife, so I suspect she's metabolically flexible and, and you know, what you're doing to achieve that and why it's so useful and the, the value of you doing that to up, improve and upgrade your immune, immune response.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Joe. There's no doubt. Metabolic health is the center of everything and immune health is inextricably linked to it. So interestingly, I interviewed Dr. Ron Rosedale, you're probably familiar with.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, he, 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 just to give you a little background of that, I connected with her for many years, let's see, 25 years now, easily. When he, I went to a lecture gave in 1995 was like 20 of us there and he, he actually opened my eyes to insulin resistance and radically changed my practice i, I i've kind of diverged from him somewhat now because he's got extreme on mTOR and protein restriction i, I just think he, he dove into territory that he's mistaken
1: Yeah, i i actually had a little uh argument with him but a gentle one because i have so much respect for him yeah, about yeah. that okay and i interviewed him but yeah, he, he kind of went hardcore on that. And I think he got too mechanistic. Yeah, like, yeah. Yes, the protein raises mTOR. And yes, raising mTOR is bad. But the whole insulin axis and IgE, I mean, there's so many other things that raise mTOR. And anyway, we won't go down that hole. But yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, think I think he's nice whole nice jump out. down
0: because it's fun. And he's well-intentioned. He's just confused in my viewpoint. And I'm glad we're both in agreement on that.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing is I interviewed him on this and he was razor sharp and 4th of April 2020. Now this is only when the thing was starting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Slammed slam dunk. So it's an hour long interview and basically leptin resistance, insulin resistance, leptin is a cytokine. It's intimately involved in the immune system response. If you are leptin or insulin resistant, then you will overreact in one sense of the immune system, the cytokine storm, and you will underreact in other parts of the immune system. So he went through it all and he made the point and I agreed with him that literally if you knew SARS-CoV-2 was coming, you don't need to spend four or five months getting fit and you don't need to lose all the weight within days, your insulin and leptin levels will be collapsing. If you just suddenly switch to meat, fish and eggs, no processed food, vitamins and minerals, literally within the first day, your leptin will be falling fast in your insulin. And in a few weeks, you're going to be utterly more capable of changing a serious illness into a mild course of illness, or even of changing a a, a death into Mm -hmm. just a nasty around. And That was in early April 2020. And I honestly thought, uh, Joe, that, you know, this would be an opportunity to show people this. Mm -hmm. But of course, the thing got so insane. No one cared about about the virus except vaccines. Propaganda. The propaganda. Propaganda took over. And it's almost poignant now to have those lectures back in April. We were bang on the money. As you as you well know, you know, all this yourself if you drop your insulin and leptin and you raise your vitamin D, which will raise anyway, as you lower insulin resistance automatically, if you do all the stuff that we've talked about for years about, you know, cholesterol, insulin, fat, keto, low carb, all the stuff for longevity and health, you just applied essentially the same stuff uh, rapidly. And you're going to collapse your risk from, from this virus. Uh, but no one, no one was allowed to see that. In fact, the FDA, I believe, last summer put in an injunction against a natural health website that was just talking about vitamin D importance. They told them, you're not allowed to do that. It's not approved.
0: Yeah, I think that was, I was one of the sites that they issued a warning heart letter <laughs> because of that. You can't make a connection that vitamin D and improving your health overall, and your immune system is going to have any influence on getting this infection or surviving the infection.
1: And on vitamin D alone, and I know it's associational, I did three short uh, talks straight to camera with slides again in early April on the emerging data from Philippines and elsewhere. And it was clear as day that people over 40 nanogram or 100 nanomole who are metabolically healthy and healthy ancestral vitamin D, had massively lower chance of severe illness or mortality, even when correcting for age. It wasn't just that the old guys had low D, it was corrected for age. So it was clear as day that if you eat nutrient-dense food, drop your insulin and leptin, uh, get healthy sun and maybe supplements, et cetera, and you get your vitamin D status up, you're going to go into that group that has vastly lower risk and and even sub-flu risk. Uh, but as you say, the censorship then came in hard. So it
0: still isn't full force. They have not let up. It's, if anything, it's getting more extreme. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's dangerous it, times. It is. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, I guess I have one question for you because we haven't had a chance to dialogue about this. I think we were at, we spoke at a conference about three years ago now in Nashville. Yeah. Um, and that was a chance to connect with you personally, uh, which was great. Um, that was pre, pre-pandemic pre for sure. The um, What I've come to learn, and I'd be interested in your take on this, is there's, this, and especially with you're very fluent with the literature on carbs uh, and keto and such, that the perception that carbs are evil or dangerous may be... Misguided. And in fact, they can be really helpful. But I mean, it's clearly an excess, especially processed carbs. They're they're going to typically increase insulin resistance. But what I believe is a far more pernicious element of processed foods are processed seed oils, vegetable oils that are rich in omega-6 linoleic acid. And it's this increase in linoleic acid percentage as a result of, uh, as a composition of your total del- total calorie intake that is, in my belief, and I'd like to get your feedback on this, exponentially, and I am not being hyperbolic, I believe it's exponentially more dangerous than excess processed carbohydrates.
1: Yeah, now the exponentially, this is a, oh, this is a thorny chestnut, uh, (laughs) i have to say, this is a tricky one. So okay. I, well, this
0: is where this, this we can dialogue without censorship. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, true. No, it's a tricky one because I, I'm finding it hard to come down with an emphatic answer, a definite answer. Mm-hmm. Um, like the refined carbs and processed carbs are really bad. And we know that from all the science. We know from huge amounts of science that the seed oils are a major problem. But actually answering whether it's 80-20 seed oil uh, or 50-50, you know, it's hard to say. Some great people like Tucker Goodrich and yeah, uh, Dr. Chris Kenobi, uh, MD, I interviewed him twice, and all my own research in terms of cancer risk, tumor progression, you know, insulin resistance, visceral fat, all the stuff associated with excessive uh, linoleic acid, It's just a massive body of knowledge and it was suppressed. I mean, there were studies in the nineties showing uh, mammary cancers in rats, a whole load of animal studies, and they were all done in the nineties and then they stopped being done. And the reason was because they were saying these were heart healthy vegetable oils and the system didn't want people finding problems. So I'd agree. There's a huge amount of data to say, don't touch them, a serious problem. There's obesity studies in mice and in rats that are dramatic in terms of uh, adipogenesis or fat creation. Uh, there's, there's so much science. But the problem I have is I've got an almost balanced uh, hatred for refined carbs, processed food, and the effect of those on your insulin and on your other hormones in your gut to blast up insulin and blood sugar. Uh, and then I've, I've got what I said about the seed oils. So my cop-out or easy way out is just to say, and I often say the devil's triad. Um, And the devil's triad is refined carbohydrates, you know, sugars and seed oils. And those three make up most ultra processed food. I mean, that's the cheapest dirt ingredients that they use to bulk up Mm -hmm. processed foods. So you kind of have to hit the triad. And it's hard to say, I mean, if a, if a person gives up the seed oils and eats loads and loads of refined carb and drinks Coca-Cola and all that mm-hmm. stuff for 30 years, you know, they're going to end up in trouble probably. And if they have seed oils at a few percent of diet, not huge, and they eliminate all the others, the refined carbs. I wonder how bad would they end up? It's just a tricky one.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this this is a great illustration of freedom of speech because we we have some differing views and you get to share your viewpoint and I can share mine. And then we let the reader or the viewer make up their mind. But this this freedom is gone, essentially. We could only do this on a uh, non-censored social media platform. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. it would be censored. So I but I've actually interviewed Tucker Goodrich and Chris Noby a few times myself. And actually I'm writing a book with him on this very topic. And I'll tell you why I've taken a more hardcore position and whether or not it's exponential. I mean, I haven't done the studies, but that's my gut feeling. And I'll tell you why. See clearly the, the level of of percentage of body fat that has this linoleic acid in it historically pre 1850, which is essentially the implementation of industrialized food processing was about one to 2%, one to 2%. Now it's a 20 to 30%, 20 to 30% of the fat in the average human beings tissue is linoleic acid. Literally 20 to 30 times what it should be 20 to 30 times. And anything beyond this 2% in excess, it's it's a very sensitive threshold. You you radically increase oxidative stress and you create these very dangerous free radicals which just decimate your cell membranes, your mitochondria, your DNA, uh, basically almost all your important biological tissue. And, And it causes severe mitochondrial dysfunction your ability to generate energy. So typically, it, it, you know, it, it, omega-6 fats, linoleic acid, are considered essential. I would challenge that because the only way you're not going to ever have enough omega-6 fats is if you stop eating completely for a long time and say you had a okay. uh, hyperalimentation where you were being fed intravenously. Because if you're eating any type of real food, it's going to be in there. It, it's just almost impossible not to eat food and ever, ever, ever become deficient in linoleic acid. So from that perspective, technically it is essential, but the, pragmatically it is not. So, and if you go to levels that are beyond the one to 2%, or if you, you attempt to, to replicate our, our, our pre-industrialization ancestral patterns of eating linoleic acid, you are going to need to exert an enormous amount of willpower and discipline because it is really, really, really hard to do. You virtually cannot eat any processed foods. And even then you need to avoid many ostensibly healthy foods like seeds and nuts. There's, it's the rare nut and seed that is is not loaded with linoleic acid. That doesn't mean you can't ever have any, but you have to have low amounts of them. We are talking like not handfuls, like one, two, three, three of these. Uh, So, The amount of discipline, because it takes, most people don't understand that if you seek to eliminate this linoleic acid from your cells, it's like a seven year process. It doesn't come out in a day or two or a week or a month. It takes seven years before you're you're able to, because the half-life is so long, because it's integrated into the cell membranes. So that type of discipline is not gonna allow anyone to consume those enormous amount of refined crop hybrids in any quantities and actually, I believe once you're metabolically flexible and we can dialogue about this, like we both are, then I'm convinced, absolutely convinced biologically and from anecdotal experience personally, that excluding carbohydrates, healthy carbohydrates, not processed, of course, even though that can be minimally harmful if if done wisely is one of the most foolish things you can do because you Mm. need to have these and, and, I mean, I would personally not go lower than 50. And many days, I'm at 150, 200 grams of carbohydrates, typically from fruit. Um, And that works just great. And I'm still in ketosis and and I've got very low visceral body fat. And uh, when I tried going low carb under 50 grams for extended periods of time, I got unhealthy, I really did. So from that perspective, I think carbohydrates are healthy. If you wanna indulge and engage in some unhealthy carbs, it's fine. Uh, the problem is that many people's perception of healthy carbs uh, it, are in foods. They also have this high amount of linoleic acid. So you're getting the damage mm-hmm. from both. That's yeah. the challenge. So anyway, that's my take and view. And why I am personally convinced that linoleic acid is far more dangerous, because even if you had those Cokes for 30 years, you could stop the Cokes immediately and mm-hmm you, you, there's no long-term, there's no long-term detox, none, zero. You just have to get over the insulin resistance you created. And that's Mm. it. There's no seven year detox, none. So that, that, you know, they're in and out.
1: That that's a very good point. Actually, that one um, does no doubt about it. And you know, the healthy carbs, myself and Dr. Gerber in our book as well, we always say low carb with real food carbs, maybe 80, 90 gram, you know, is fine. And then we kind of view the down to twenty and all as almost a medicinal intervention, yes. therapeutic. So, yeah, and I'm kind of saying, look, you know, there are plenty of benefits there. If you have profound type two diabetes, hard to get into remission, you know, neurological conditions, mm-hmm. and we know about the epilepsy, yes, but, cancer, but cancer, absolutely. So insulin down into your boots, glucose down, ketones high, and all all that. But but generally low carb combined with fasting, you know, an intermittent fasting leaves you mostly in a keto kind of milieu and that's ancestrally appropriate. We often got carb foods, natural ones over the millennia. So try not to be too extreme, um, but use it as a, as an intervention, if you really need to push somewhere. So I'd agree with you. And it's a very good point about the the longevity of these, um, Seed oils. And I remember Hyperlipid. You know that blog, oh, sure. Hyperlipid. Peter. Peter. Oh, Peter. Yes, of course. Brilliant. He made the Absolutely. point once. Love him. Was, oh, fantastic. He made the point about all the linoleic acid in your cells and the long term removal of it takes ages. But he said, ironically, people who get cancer uh, and they have a problem, maybe because of the linoleic, and then they lose a lot of weight and try and get healthy, they're actually flooding their system with all that linoleic. Uh, right at the point when you don't want to, so there's kind of an irony to that whole thing as well, isn't there? Oh, that's Shocker. why. It's,
0: it, you know, the the age-old adage is an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and it couldn't be more yeah. appropriate in this in this uh, light because, you know, once you get into really serious health issues, the actual process of reversing out of it can actually exacerbate the health issue because. <laughs> You know, so that's why you want to be healthy all the time. You don't want to just
1: lead an unhealthy lifestyle and try to rescue yourself at the end because it may be too late. Yeah. And, and I, for myself, I mean, I didn't mean to understate linoleic. You know, it's in the devil's triad. Um, and we have no, no vegetable oils or seed oils whatsoever, except occasionally if you take a sauce. So I'm extremely harsh on that. I have yeah. occasional nuts or seeds, but to be honest, very yeah. little. I'm yeah. more meat, fish, and eggs.
0: Yeah. My primarily. guess if you do an analysis for you, you'd probably five or six grams of linoleic acid a day, or maybe less, which is a good, good probably. target. That's a healthy target. Most people are 30, 40, 50 grams a day. Yeah.
1: And just one last thing on that, because I just thought of it. One of those rat studies actually made the point that ancestrally, we maybe had one or 2% in the diet of the linoleic. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that the. And then they actually looked at epidemiological data and they also used rat studies and they said they thought there was a threshold that once you go above three or four or 5%, mm-hmm. the acceleration of tumorogenesis or tumors in the studies tended to level off. And they made a really interesting point that if the whole population, and at that time, they were around 10% in the diet, back I think in the late 90s, mm-hmm. they said if the whole population is up around 10%, you won't be able to see the cancer-driving effect in an epidemiological right. study. there's no controls. Because everyone's at 10. There's no everyone's, controls. <laughs> there's no controls. There's no 1% <laughs> or 2%, guys. Yeah, yeah. they made that point, which was very smart for the 90s, um, but no one, no, no one took any notice because the narrative was the vegetable oils are heart healthy finish. Yeah. Yeah. That's an excellent, excellent point. And I- mm-hmm. I'm
0: just thrilled that we can have this dialogue because actually I think we both take something from each other's as- and come to different conclusions and, that, but you know, it's our, it's our interpretation of the data and everyone's free to under- listen to that and make their own conclusions. But you know, the, the saddest commentary on this with propaganda is that that ability to listen to this type of unsurpre- uncensored dialogue about really important issues is evaporated, essentially.
1: Yeah, Corona, I know there was problems before. In 1819, Google changed the search engine so you wouldn't find anyone but Mayo Clinic and other nonsense. Um, but but Corona really has changed the game. I I I never sensed censorship really before March 2020. Uh, Maybe some downgrading in search engines, but nothing too heavy. But like now, it's insane. I've got a strike. I got out of the strike. I got another strike. I'm only sharing government data and I reference what I say and I'm just barely keeping out of strikes on YouTube. Twitter, shadow banning. I get reports all the time from people. I can't see your tweets. I see them for a moment then they're gone from the timeline. It's, it's very dystopian and sinister. It's it's yeah. crazy. Well,
0: we were we were an early adopter on that because I was censored off of Google in June of 2018.
1: <laughs> I yeah. was removed from search engines. I, I remember seeing that like Mark Sisson went down a factor of five or six. You went down a factor of 15. No, that no, no, no. The... no, we
0: were we went down by 999 percent Oh, that much. That yeah, was the yeah. Google. I, and even with that, we're still doing pretty good in the Alexa rankings because we get, I don't know, 15, 20 million views a month. But none of that comes from Google. Virtually zero from Google.
1: Yeah. That, so, well, that was super sinister for sure. But it, it's just on steroids, obviously, since March, because anyone who says certain things now and, you know, the killer, the WHO is a semi-private organization, unelected with massive conflicts of interest and ties to pharma and other foundations. There's no question about that. They should not be allowed to dictate any country's policies, maybe advise. Uh, They'll <laughs> own the
0: whole world.
1: <laughs> They'll alone the whole world. But, but the CEO, and I remember I, I was stuck to the chair when I saw, I can't pronounce her name, the YouTube CEO. She came out and just said, this is in March 20. Anyone who says anything that conflicts with WHO will take it down. Like, like, that's like saying anyone who conflicts with what Pfizer say, we're going to take it down. It's like, what? It's, yeah, that's
0: essentially the equivalent. Thank you for making that <laughs> out. Yeah.
1: But it, it is.
0: It is absolutely yeah. the same. It's identical. People just don't see it as clearly as you just stated it, but that's the truth. Yeah. So getting, getting back to the vaccine, because that really is kind of the issue on the plate. There are a number of individuals who, well, I want to talk about one aspect of it, which is widely discussed. It's typically referred to as ADE or antibody dependent enhancement. I like to refer to it as PI because I think it's more realistic. That acronym stands for paradoxical immune enhancement, because that's exactly what happens. It's a paradox. You get this mm. Im- immune booster, so to speak with this COVID jab. And supposedly it's, a, it's, it's designed and intended to produce protective antibodies, but it doesn't, it produces doesn't produce these disease neutralizing antibodies, it produces these binding antibodies, which instead of helping you fight the infection, actually make you more predisposed to the side effects and massive uh, inflammation and secondary cytokine storms, so that kill you prematurely. So, this is well documented in the early coronavirus true vaccine, not mRNA vaccines, but true vaccine trials in animals done about 10 years ago, where they would give these animals the coronavirus vaccine. Uh, they were able to generate antibodies from adaptive immunity, enormously good response. All the the animals got the increased antibody levels. The problem is when they re-expose these animals to the actual virus, they all die due to this Mm -hmm. ADE. So uh, as far as I'm aware, these studies were not repeated with the mRNA vaccines, uh, so we have no data. I mean, that's a big part of this whole challenge. There is no data. We're creating the data as we go along, and even then it's not even being properly collected and it's radically manipulated and skewed to remove any collection of data that might distort the benefits of the vaccine, or or not even the benefits, but the the downsides of the disastrous side effects. So given all that, I'm wondering what your analysis of the data you've reviewed so far and your prediction as to what might happen in the fall.
1: Yeah. who that's a tricky one to get. I haven't gone too deep in that, but I've leveraged my, my best guys I mentioned in Hungary and, and West coast, uh, who are absolutely on our side of the house on all of this. Uh, but they're still pretty, they're unbiased though. And they go deep into the immunology. The general feeling is, and they're, they're way ahead of me. So I, I just defer to them that yes, there'll be autoimmune. Yes, there will be side effects that are serious—the clots, the platelets, all of that—and yes, they're leaning towards an ADE type phenomenon. But their belief is it won't be a huge explosion type Mm -hmm. phenomenon. That there's so many hundreds of millions sent out already, even during even during seasonal surges, Mm -hmm. vaccines were deployed, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. but it's not like they were all never typically
0: done. In, in, in no. You don't va- immunize or vaccinate during, during the uh, uh, epidemic peak. That's not a good thing.
1: Exactly. And I, and I think the general belief is, yes, elderly and more frail people, that powerful vaccine maybe knocked them off when they would have lived a little longer and certainly caused trouble for quite a few people, but not, not mass. So their suspicion is it may exacerbate the next season say in northern europe uh, the season is coming now it may exacerbate it but they don't feel in a in a huge way uh but certainly there will be a hard to quantify element of that how big will it be is very hard to call so they're scanning the data uh, the Israel data is good, like I said. The comparative data between countries who did almost no vaccination and did a lot of vaccination, the curves are very comparable. So, all in all, the data appears to be saying, but it's hard to get it, as you mentioned. It appears to be a story of there's very little benefit and no benefit to transmission and very little benefit in terms of severity it appears from comparing countries and what we can see and also it doesn't appear that there's very big negative you know high percentage whole population impacted effects either it's like it's kind of like that but come the winter in europe you know we're, we're going to get to see much better i yeah. think yeah it's
0: interesting because even though bears is far from a perfect collection of side effects from, Mm. from any vaccine. Uh, I forget the most recent evaluation, but I believe the last I heard the number of deaths from this COVID jab were 30 times higher, 30 times higher than all vaccines administered together for the previous 30 years that. Those numbers might not be quite right, but it's in the, it's in that range of the number of years or the number, you know, but it's definitely all vaccines combined. I mean, it's, this this is the most extraordinary, dangerous uh, immunization that's ever been administered.
1: Yeah, and in this sense, to be honest, Joe, I'm kind of comparing it against the overall COVID impact. But mm-hmm. but that's a good point. I I comparing against prior vaccines, of course, it may be way way higher, but it's just even being much higher than prior ones. Is it a big population impact that's going to cause mass ADE? You know, that, that's a lot of yeah. fear people I, have.
0: Kind of, yeah, I'm kind of in agree with you. I thought it might have. I, I thought this, mm. they, they, they did it. They're going to kill tons of millions of people, but probably not slow destruction, mm-hmm. and they may not need to do that, but they, they could accidentally do that because no one knows. No one knows. We are in completely uncharted territory. There's no way to predict the, the long-term consequences of this. They've never, never done any uncharted mm-hmm. and to anyone who says that they have, they'd be lying. They just haven't done.
1: Yeah, right. I think they, they love the precautionary principle when slamming in lockdowns and causing 50 times the societal damage that, that they would ever save they love the precautionary principle, but they apply zero precautionary principle to the medication. And it just shows that this is an ideology. It's not about science. Of course, it was never about science. It's about uh, economics, profiteering, uh, control, like we mentioned at the start, getting in ID cards, probably digital currency will be coming in. They want the ID card to get everyone's metrics locked in for access. All of these bad things, they're all ideologies. None of them are scientific. And the rollout, mass rollout of a brand new medication that should have been emergency use only, where you might do the susceptible people above 60, you can make a logic for that. Mm -hmm. What's happened is mass rollout, and now they're coming after the kids. I mean, you don't have to be anti-vax. You just have to be rational to look at the impact of COVID SARS-CoV-2, look at the vaccine data, such as you can see so far emerging, and the real world empirical data of the country compares that show the vaccine's not doing much, and then look at what they're actually trying to do, vaccinate all the kiddies. And you just know it's completely perverse, right? Even if you don't well, have any no, strong feelings.
0: You don't know, and that's the problem that you so well brought up earlier. You don't know because you are brainwashed. You cannot it. see it. It's right in front of your face. You know, your brain is so distorted and short-circuited that you can't see the obvious. It's shocking but true. Shocking but true. We,
1: we have to accept reality. And I often say to people who are getting despondent, oh my God, they're doing this, they're getting away with this. I always say you have to be stoical. Uh, I fight the misinformation seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it turns out that the bad guys are, are getting dreadful things uh, implemented. I refuse to let myself become despondent or mm. miserable or want to give up. Um, I have just hardened myself over the decades that I will not be brought down by this, no matter, how, no matter how bad it gets. Stoicism, even if they get ID cards and you're jabbed and tracked and traced, you still got to be the resistance. You still got to live and you still got to oppose it. And stay healthy, stay funded, stay around to oppose it. Look at the French resistance in World War II.
0: Dreadful yeah.
1: conditions. Dreadful. They had to sleep with the enemy, literally. They, if they were caught, they were tortured and murdered. For around a year or two, things looked absolutely grim that they were, gonna, they were not going to win. They kept at it. Kept at it. But you know what they didn't have?
0: They didn't have such oh. a successful propaganda campaign. <laughs>
1: true it was a much fairer fight
0: Mm. it was a a much fairer fight people's brains still functioned and worked they are not working now not only do you have the propaganda campaign but you have this 80 percent of the population eating highly processed foods highly processed foods which in no way shape or form is optimizing their physiology and making more more predisposed to irrational thinking Mm.
1: Yeah, if we were with the Rosedale interview, and so early that was in April, we said, I think I said it, and he agreed 100%. I said, imagine a thought experiment, like, you know, Einstein used to do a thought experiment to illustrate things. Imagine now, before SARS-CoV-2 hits Europe, uh, for four weeks or five weeks before it, all the food supply is gone, but there's only meat, fish, and eggs, and maybe some broccoli. That's all we have everyone would absolutely go crazy because they want their pizzas and their cans of cola. But let's say that happened and for four or five weeks, that's all people had. Well, what would happen? The weight would fall off them. Insulin and leptin would collapse. Vitamin D would start going up even without sun exposure because it's, it's a marker of metabolic health as well. And by the time SARS comes along in five or six weeks, you're probably going to be 10 times less impact, if not more. Yeah. Just from that, just from not being able to eat, jug. yeah, and and it's crazy, it is. So we've given a lot
0: people a lot to digest to share your perspective on things, which is always useful. It's uh, good to hear from someone else who's looked at that and 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 hasn't been propagandized and is eating healthy, so your brain still functions, and many of the people watching us, their brain still functions, and they be- yeah. they are not believing the conventional media. Uh, so yeah. thank you for sharing your wisdom. Now, how do people who want to find more information from you? What was their best strategy?
1: All right. Well, well, firstly, no, thanks, Joe, so much for having me on and you've got a huge audience and you're saving a lot of people from being brainwashed. I mean, way more than me, I'm sure, uh, vastly more. So that's fantastic. Uh, in terms of finding me, if you search engine, I won't say the G word, Ivor Cummins my name usually you'll pretty quickly hit my youtube which is the main thing though I have odyssey and bit now as well channels good good. Uh, because good. You know, you're going to be censored but eventually <laughs> yeah and twitter of course but my main stuff you hit by searching my name because it's not a common name so you, you get all the stuff and, and that's probably the main thing okay well great well it was good to catch up with you and I thank you for com-
0: contributing to the effort to uh help those whose brains are still working and not uh, manipulated yet to give them information that they can make better choices. And that's what it's all about, understanding and seeking to identify the truth.
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Joe, so much. All right. We'll catch up hopefully at some point. Thanks, Ivor. Take care.